Alex Mose, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. We're going to start off with some up-and-coming tech startups that are taking the fight directly to the big tech monopolies. Not only is that a not-so-small company named Palantir, we've got the CEO of Palantir, Alex Karp, who's directly calling out uh, some of the U.S. tech monopolies and, um, and, and just did a great interview, which we're going to cover. Then you got some smaller up and coming, uh, tech startups in the, you know, uh, uh, social media and content space. Rumble, which has just announced their SPAC and Trump SPAC are now doing deals together. Yes, they're now technically both public companies and collaborating against who? Big tech. So we're going to dig into that. On the big tech side of the aisle, there's this report out from the information about Tim Cook spending, signing a deal with China covertly, of course it's covertly, um, to invest $275 billion into China. And um, that's raising a bunch of questions. We're going to dig into that. So let's dig in. AI is going to rule the future of our information warfare battle uh, with China. We're already in a war with China. And Alex Karp, CEO of Palantir, has some very choice words for U.S. big tech monopolies that are deciding to work with China, but not truly work with the United States and the U.S. government. You hear AI and ML uh, used very closely, these, these letters used very closely together, artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's what it stands for. And basically, they go hand in hand. You basically are training a machine how to think. And that's why you see them playing these board games, whether it's chess or Go, where now all the machines are beating the humans. You take that to the nth degree and you think about the information warfare, which we are currently in with China. Um, we've had many guests on the show to talk about this. I've talked about this many times on the show. Think about practical applications of AI in the information warfare. So if you want to break into a database, if you want to break into CIA or the Department of Defense, their servers, right? Those are protected by essentially AI, right? AI is, is actively trying to detect intruders. And then you have offensive AI, which is actively trying to penetrate into, you know, your, your opponent's security system and steal information. How advanced your AI is, is going to determine how well you can play that, that battle, that game. Who's going to be able to break into the server first? Who's going to be able to detect the intruder first and then prevent, you know, some kind of an, a, a software attack, as an example. And so Alex Karp just did this interview where he's now, he's been calling them out for a long time. I love it every time he calls them out. But he, he kind of touches on this a little bit more in detail around exactly what he's getting at with what these U.S. tech monopolies are doing with China and are not doing with the U.S. So let's take a look. The last 20 years, uh, the, the enemy, if you will, for the U.S. and its allies, which you have helped with, uh, has been terrorism, anti-terrorism uh, in particular. Increasingly, the conversation has moved away from terrorism and the Middle East and more towards China. Um, what do you think about that and what role do you think you have to play in it? Well, the public discussion has moved uh, recently. But as you know from our many conversations, we've been very focused on uh, the, what we've called the, you know, um, the software war between America and its adversaries. 
where we believe, and as a company we've been saying for over a decade, this is not a, this is not a conflict that's linear. So it's not like other conflicts where one, where one country has a slightly better plane than another, another country has a slightly better boat than another. This is much more like what we saw in World War II, where one country develops a, a, a nuclear bomb and they set the rules. And we've been saying this in public, in, in policy circles for well over a decade. And because we've been saying it in public, we've been very focused on this in private for well over a decade. And a lot of the development uh, on Palantir on the software end doesn't see the public eye for obvious reasons. But we've been very focused on what's generically called uh, AI in the, in the conflict or war setting for, for a, a long time, building on innovations we'd already built, the ways in which we work with data in bulk, and then data at the edge. And so as part of this conflict, our basic thesis was this is a winner-take-all conflict. The U.S. and its allies must have the best software in the world. We battled with Silicon Valley about this. Silicon Valley, I think, has changed somewhat. Name of the show. He's used it now a couple of times. It, AI being a winner-take-all mechanism for warfare. Very interesting concept, right? And you think, well, okay, uh, where is the network effect in AI? I don't know if there really is a true network effect. Sure, you could have access to more data and you can train the AI with, you know, more, more information and more, more models. Maybe that compounds upon itself. I think what he's alluding to, and he doesn't actually specifically call it out in this interview, is actually what you would call quantum computing. It's basically a step function, just like his kind of analogy to a nuclear bomb. It's a step function, right? It's, it's actually more binary. Right. Do you have atomic weapon or not? Right. Do you have quantum computing capability or not? And when you do have quantum computing capability, it it brings you to a whole other plane of warfare of capability to crack those those algorithms and those passwords and those encrypted files and and outmaneuver your opponent's moves and every step of that. AI-informed battlefield, which is now really runs the whole gamut of, of, of the spectrum of, you know, but from kinetic to information warfare, has in some way either a hard dependency or an influence from AI. But when you can bring a step function level capability on AI, like quantum computing, which basically just means, you know, if you have a supercomputer, it's saying like you got a hundred supercomputers, right? If you've got a quantum computing capability. It's like you got a hundred supercomputers compared to one supercomputer, right? It's, it's, you're in the stone age. If you've got one supercomputer compared to a hundred, but it actually, honestly, the, the step function might be even greater. I'm not a quantum computing expert, but people that I know that know more about these kinds of things, this is the kind of stuff they're talking to me about kind of behind closed doors. And who's going to get to quantum computing first. And when you do the AI capability that that will unlock will be his analogy, not mine, like having a nuclear bomb. You've been, though, very critical of other Silicon Valley companies that have stayed in China. Uh, a number of Silicon Valleys have left China. But what do you think of those that are st still doing business in China? The biggest, the biggest, of course, is Apple. You know, I, I, we believe at Palantir in full disclosure. If a company wants to work in an adversarial country, I'm not, I just think they should work, it and def work there and defend it. 
You know, at Palantir, we have our views. Many times those views have been very controversial. We picked up and moved to Denver because our views were too controversial in, in Silicon Valley. We are an international business. We defend the U.S. government. This guy just said they had to move their business to Denver, Colorado, because it was too controversial to, to be based in San Francisco, in, in, in Silicon Valley, because they're pro-America. They are pro-working with the U.S. Department of Defense and our Western allies. It's ridiculous. You think, eh, <laughs> you wouldn't think this guy, right? Like you have to, you actually have to leave Silicon Valley. Ay, ay, ay. We have certain values we stand by. If you want to work in China or in any other country that is adversary or not adversary to America, you should disclose it and defend it. Our view, though, is slightly different. You should work wherever you can ethically justify internally and externally. However, if you do not work with the U.S. government, you should disclose why you're not working with the U.S. government and why you're working with other governments that are adversarial to the U.S. government. And that's been our position. We, of course, at Palantir, are very proud to uh, develop products that make the Western world stronger. And we hope that those products put us in a position where we decide what the ethics of the world will be. We, America and its allies, not just in America, right. uh, and therefore influence the world in a positive way. Love that. What he's alluding to is going to be, uh, you know, one of our next topics around Tim Cook putting $275 billion into China. He's saying not only do you need to disclose and defend why you're working with an adversarial nation like China. But then you also need to disclose and defend why you are not working with the U.S. government. And that actually applies both ways with, unfortunately, I hate to say this, our large U.S. tech monopolies, right? There are uh, a myriad of examples, which we've covered many times on the show, of them doing exactly that, working with China and then not working with the U.S. What you have to understand is that, okay, yeah, like Google, Google is a prime example. Google wanting to launch a search engine in China and doing it covertly, um, but then canceling some of its, guess what, AI weapons programs with the Department of Defense. Google will say, oh, well, we, have, I mean, we still work with the Department of Defense, right? But are you actually working on the cutting edge stuff, on, on these kinds of things, right? On developing AI programs for military application. And that was exactly the kind of stuff that Sundar capitulated and caved to uh, the Google powers that be that didn't want to work on those kinds of programs, right? And it's ridiculous. You got to have some kind of backbone as a leader to say, no, this is for a higher purpose. And even though we have a lot of employees that um, are either from the United States and are disgruntled with the state of political affairs in this country. Or, you know what, we also have a lot of employees that are not Americans and, you know, might have differing opinions and interests and bias as to helping the U.S. Department of Defense. But these are ultimately U.S. tech companies. This is the best country in the world. We need to be setting those ethics, just like Alex Karp described. And our U.S. tech monopolies need to be helping with AI and bringing AI into weapons programs uh, because you know that every single Chinese tech monopoly is doing exactly that with the Chinese government, CCP. And if they're not, those people are being hauled off to reconditioning camps and never seen again unless they change their tune. Um, or if they're not that important, they're probably just never seen again, ever. I love that Alex Karp takes a stand, comes out publicly, tells it how it is, um, has been doing this now for many, many years. 
at some point our tech monopolies are gonna have to wake up and uh and develop not even a full just just part of a backbone that's all i'm asking for just like a sliver of a backbone i wouldn't expect you to have a full backbone but just like a little bit of one would be great so next topic is the information came out with this report uh saying that Tim Cook signed a covert deal with Chinese authorities back in 2016 for $275 billion. What's the big deal? Actually, I think they're kind of overhyping this a little bit. Tim Cook is slippery and this is, it stinks because it was done so secretly. I think they're, they're trying to sell a lot of subscriptions with this, uh, but let's dig into it. The company owes much of its success to Tim Cook. And years ago, he signed a secret agreement worth $275 billion. Talks about all the rigmarole that he had to do to woo the regulators, to woo the CCP, to capitulate to their ass and their desires, both from a, a standpoint of investing in regional economies, in giving China greater censorship control over apps, like removing LGBTQ apps from its app store in bringing iCloud services and, you know, basically data storage locally to China. I think the $275 billion number here is a little bit overblown in the sense that, you know, to me, a big chunk of that dollar figure is going to creating uh, manufacturing facilities in China, right? So Apple's going to say, hey, we're going to invest, right, $200 billion in creating these factories to make our iPhones, is Apple actually cutting a check to the CCP for $275 billion? No, they're not doing that. Is a few billion of these dollars probably making their way into the coffers of some CCP regulators? Yes, that's probably happening too. Is it $275 billion? No. Is it 1%? Call it $3 billion? Yeah, it definitely could be. If not, could be a little bit more than that, frankly. So, right, there's a lot of meat on that $275 billion bone. I do think you have to look at it with a grain of salt. But it does go to beg the question to say, where's the big investment in America, Tim Cook? Like, hey, it'd be really nice to have, uh, to have my designed in California laser etching back on my iPhone, which disappeared magically, probably right around the time all this stuff was going down into where China was grumpy with Apple. And then, and then, you know, they just threw him a bone to say, well, you know, we'll take the design in California thing off the back of the iPhone. No one likes to talk about the fact that that was just magically removed from the back of the iPhone. It was actually mentioned buried deep in a New York Times article. We covered it on the show. We actually continue to cover it because it, every time I look at the back of my iPhone, I think of that. But no one else talks about this. Right. No one else likes to talk about that our U.S. big tech monopolies have sold Americans right down the river. And at, at, at the sheer threat of government intervention into their business abroad, boom, Tim Cook is making three trips in a year out to China, kowtowing with all the, the regulators, um, translating their reports into Mandarin, uh, all these things, right? Quick, making investments into DD. That was also one of the nuggets in this, right? So they're now investing into Chinese companies, completely unrelated to Apple's business. Like DD was competing with Uber in China, and then Apple gave them a billion dollars just to curry favor with the Chinese officials. Unfortunately, what you don't see is 
a, a willingness in this country, whether politically um, or self-motivated by the U.S. tech monopolies, to bring manufacturing back here, to lobby politicians, to give them incentives to bring manufacturing back here, right? It's just simply not a priority. But when someone else forces the issue, watch how fast these executives move and cave at any, at any just moral standing of where you want to do business and how you want to do business. And again, going back to the previous topic where we we're talking about Alex Karp, Palantir, U.S. tech monopolies, deliberately not supporting the U.S. Uh, DOD and military AI efforts over ethics issues, right? But they're more than willing to go to China, throw all their ethics and morals completely out the window, cave to every concession the Chinese government wants. But, but yeah, then somehow the ethics, you know, really aren't a part of the conversation anymore. So it's just, it's funny how that works, isn't it? On the other end of the spectrum to fight back against big tech monopolies, the battle for free speech platforms, content platforms, uh, waging now a multi-billion dollar battle successfully against the big bad tech content and social media platform monopolies. And they're making some progress. So we've got a lot of stuff going on here. We got now $2 billion SPACs, Rumble and Trump's SPAC. Trump's new media platform and Rumble have a distribution deal. Um, this one's kind of peculiar. And I will say that this actually is a little disconcerting to me in the sense that if you read this piece, Truth, which, which is Trump's social media platform, are going to use Rumble's infrastructure, their technology, their cloud distribution capability. So they're going to be a service provider, a tech provider to the president's Truth Social. So that's interesting. So I think they're basically saying, hey, like an, it's like an AWS deal. Rumble's basically going to provide its AWS, its cloud storage, cloud infrastructure capability to Truth Social. You know, the thing with Truth Social is that it's really they're, they're building this business from scratch, which is a little nerve wracking for now a SPAC worth $2 billion. Yeah. Most of these SPACs open at like $10 a share. It popped up to $170 a share uh, at, at peak mania when it, when it first was announced. And it now has since raised a billion dollar pipe. A little bit to be concerned about. So you got a multi-billion dollar company here. They're building a product from scratch. Now, Trump was the most popular user on Twitter. Uh, Well-documented. He, he didn't have the most followers, but he had the most engagement. So he's like top five for followers. And, but he had by far the most engagement. Twitter, other social media, Facebook, et cetera, banned him completely inappropriately, just like they've been banning inappropriately many other uh, political actors, but also non-political. Just anyone they disagree with now, they just ban. It's completely ridiculous. It has led to the rise of alternative free speech content platforms like Rumble and now what Trump is doing. Ultimately, I think Trump's back here should probably just end up buying one of the existing, the other, one of my other five oxymorons. I covered it many, many months ago. Rumble was one of my five oxymorons. So was Odyssey, which took a, took a shot at Rumble here. Congratulations to Rumble on going public. 
Everyone knows publicly traded companies are consistently great on free speech. Just look at Google, Facebook, and Twitter. Library is very cool content, kind of YouTube platform built on the blockchain. Odyssey is one of them, but it's not a social media platform. That's the only rub, uh, right? Like Odyssey and Rumble are close comps. So is YouTube. Those three are close comps. But then you have Gab. And Gab is on fire. There's other ones like that you, that you probably heard about, like Parler, um, uh, Getter, I think, was one of Trump's advisors that, that launched that. So there's a few of these uh, social media free speech platforms, uh, more like YouTube content platform, free speech platforms. The CEO of Gab, founder of Gab, came out with an email saying Gab is not for sale. President Trump raised a billion dollars from a bunch of satanic hedge funds for a project that failed to even launch into beta testing as promised in November and was hacked within hours of being announced. This is the challenge of launching a product from scratch, launching a business from scratch, which is really what I think Trump's back is trying to do. The good news is that if they try and fail, which is kind of seems to be what they're doing, then they've got enough money now. They've got, you know, I think $1.3 billion. They had, I think $300 million in the SPAC, now a billion pipe. Um, $1.3 billion to go and buy someone else that has figured out problems around getting hacked. This is a project with currently no public product, no users, and no revenue that is now worth $4 billion. Now, that's not fair. There is a value to Trump's brand and his following, which is very real. Is it worth $4 billion? Probably not. I think $4 billion is probably a little high. You need a product. You can't just have $4 billion in a vacuum. You need a product. You need a business. That Then that network effect can certainly create $4 billion of value, but you need a viable business and product to, to justify it, right? Which right now I've not really seen anything around it. Again, good news is they got $1.3 billion to go and fix that problem once they if they kind of come to the realization that it's really hard to build this business from scratch. So if I had $1.3 billion and I was Devin Nunes, so also in other news now, Devin Nunes, the congressman from California, has left Congress and is now going to be the CEO of Trump's back. This guy's a politician, not a businessman. Um, but Trump values loyalty and now Devin Nunes is here. So if I was Devin Nunes, what would I do? These other social media platforms, which is really what Trump is angling for. He wants a social media platform. He doesn't want a content like platform like a Rumble, which is why they're willing to do this deal with Rumble, because I don't think they see it as competitive, right? They see it as YouTube. They don't see it as social media. They want social media. They want like the Twitter, the tweets, right? That kind of interaction model. The problem is the other free speech platforms have built themselves on top of AWS they have built themselves, you know, making iPhone apps and Android apps. So they've built themselves on top of the exact tech monopolies that have now censored Trump, that have censored many conservatives, that have censored many people just because they talk about things that the tech monopolies don't approve of. So how do you buy a business that has these inherent um, technical vulnerabilities? Honestly, that does bring me back to Gab. Gab has built its own tech stack. They've built all their own server infrastructure from scratch, which is extremely impressive. And 
they are a social media platform. Now, the challenge is you go read this guy, Andrew Torba's email, and the title of the email is Gab is not for sale. For those of you who've been following along, Gab refused to entertain the censorship demands from Trump's team earlier this year. We also refused to sell any part of Gab or access to Gab's data to Trump's team. Torba said Kushner and his cronies tried to get Torba to sell out and compromise on Gab's free speech policies suggesting that Gab clean up their image. Defending free speech at all costs, even at the cost of Trump joining Gab, is why Gab is the number one alternative technology platform on the internet and growing fast. I actually think this is a true statement. While we have specialized in free speech for five years now, free markets inevitably developed anywhere that free speech is protected. It's exactly what's happening on Gab right now. They don't have an iPhone app. You can't access this on an iPhone. You got to understand that. Right. You think about you flick open Instagram, uh, if Facebook, oh, I get push notifications. Right. I get nice seamless scrolling. I'm all I'm automatically logged in. Yeah, that doesn't happen on on mobile web. It's a completely more muted, less delightful user experience. Remember that that's why apps blew up. Remember, like. 10 years ago, whatever it was, 15 years ago, when all these phones were coming out, the battle between mobile web apps, HTML5, remember that? And smartphone apps. Guess who won? Smartphone apps. Mobile web is nice, but it is no substitute for a sleek iPhone or Android app. Yet these guys have built a business on a shoestring budget I actually think they're probably profitable now with this advertising service he's talking about. And look, 1500, top 1500 website. I mean, it's insane. The traffic is insane. Actually, sorry, that's global. Number 687 in the United States. Global, 1500. Number 687 in the United States. It's bonkers. This, this is not an alternative niche social media site, which is what the mainstream media will want you to believe. This is a movement. I've been calling it for, for many, many months, basically this whole year, and in advance of that saying that, you know, we need less censorship, not more. And I went on uh, Bloomberg, said the same thing just a few months ago, just maybe like a month ago, two months ago. So, I mean, this is powerful stuff. Money isn't interesting to me. Free speech is. This isn't about money. It's about the future for my children and yours. It's about reclaiming our country and protecting our home. I don't, I don't know if, these, if, if, if they would do a deal with Trump's back. I actually don't know. I actually don't know what you do. I know you got a bunch of cash sitting around. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Now, the other thing Torba points out is that Rumble changed its terms and conditions to ban hate speech and anti-Semitism. Um, Basically, what these words are, yeah, you, know, you say, oh, yes, banning hate speech, good thing. You don't want hate speech. Yes, of course. You don't want, you don't want hate speech. Problem is that um, this is the same, and Torbett points it out. These terms of service mirror that of the big tech platforms, right? Big tech platforms say the same thing. Oh, well, we don't want hate speech. But then they censor. It gives them very, um, a, a broad interpretation they get to decide um, what is considered hate speech, which a lot of people would probably say, you know, you know what? I should be able to talk about this. Um, and you've certainly crossed that line. Big tech has. He's saying Rumble is updating their terms and services 
and is positioning themselves to censor, despite what the CEO is saying, which CEO of Rumble is saying, well, we are a free speech platform. But then why are they changing their terms and conditions to give them more optionality to bring down speech rather than less? Hmm. Seems kind of uh, peculiar, right? So going back to uh, this deal, this deal is a little bit, I think this this deal is good for Rumble. A little bit concerning in terms of true social and what are they building over there and how is that going to work? It's big money. It's great. Taking the fight to the big tech monopolies, to the content platforms, to the social media platforms. Uh, This is a big strategic error that they have made time and time again. They've just doubled and tripled down upon it to be more sensor friendly rather than less. All right. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. And I'll talk to you soon.